Welcome to the Streamline Performance Podcast, where our mission is to provide you, the everyday athlete, with the knowledge, insight, and tools to stay active, improve performance, and avoid injury along the way. We believe that an active life is a life worth living, and if you're here, you likely do too. If you're ready to learn from the best doctors, coaches, athletes, and other leading experts in the ever-changing world of health and wellness, you're in the right place. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, welcome back to the Streamline Performance Podcast. Today, uh, we've got uh, Dr. Ryan Spencer here with us from Streamline, and we're really excited to be interviewing Dr. Jeff McAllister. He's with the Foot and uh, Ankle Phoenix Foot and Ankle Institute here in Scottsdale, and he's one of our most trusted providers in terms of people that we will refer to whenever we've got an athlete or someone that's struggling with a foot or ankle injury. He's got a lot of different peer-reviewed journal publications, uh, really into education and teaching people about how to do things the right way. And quite honestly, we really just trust his opinion quite a bit. So um, Jeff, we're really glad to have you on. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate that. It was a warm welcome. <clears throat> yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the Phoenix Foot and Ankle Institute and kind of how long you've been there and what's been going on? Yeah. So I've been in private practice uh, outside of uh, big, big box orthopedics into uh, private personal care for uh, probably three years now, um, focused on um, really just integrating service lines that are focused on foot and ankle uh, pathology, anywhere from the hammer toe to the to the Achilles tear and uh, recovery from all the above. Um, we're in Old Town and we have an office in Anthem too, or just south of Anthem. And so we're kind of spread out. We're, we're spreading our wings uh, west, hopefully this year with another office, but we are near uh, Osborne and Greenbaum right now. That's kind of where home base is, uh, pretty close to you guys. And uh, that's allowed us to be central to the Phoenix east side, <clears throat> East Valley area. And we treat any anyone with any foot and ankle pathology. So, more more sports focused, more um, recovery focused, and do all sorts of reconstruction and uh, different types of pathologies like that. But we're we're always kind of working hand in hand with our physical therapists and athletic trainers and uh, the sort to allow our patients to recover faster and and get back to their healthy lifestyle as they're used to in Phoenix. So we're excited to be here. Yeah. Awesome. And do you still do triathlons and stuff or? Yeah. So I did have recent neck surgery. Uh, I tried to hide, okay. but, um, I've, so I'm, I'm a month in or a month out, I guess. And so, but I, I dabble in the, uh, triathlon world and, and my goal is to do ultras, to be honest with you. I don't know if that's a upgrade or downgrade, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I dabble with uh, the half Ironmans. Okay. Awesome. And, you know, that's a, obviously a big clientele that we see as well. And one of the things that we see most commonly, aside from the repetitive overuse type of injury that we'll kind of get to in a moment, is um, a lot of kind of ankle arthritic changes that happen over time, particularly in that like 40 to 60 year old age group of people that are still competing and trying to do so at a high level. Um, but they start to see some of these arthritic changes happen. And I think, uh, I know, you've done quite a bit of research on ankle OA and, you know, ankle replacement stuff. And so I, I'm kind of curious what your take is on arthritic pain in the foot and ankle in an active population and what we can really do about that aside from, Hey, you need an ankle replacement. Yeah. Yeah. So the precursor to the, the ankle replacement or ankle fusion is all about 
balance. I talk to patients about making sure your boat is stable or your canoe or whatever. And that helps them kind of wrap their head around the perineal strength, the, the post tip strength and uh, balancing a foot under an ankle. So an arthritic ankle can last a long time if it's, if it's neutral, just like a knee, if it's bone on bone, just straight bone on bone and uh, the ankle is neutral. So you don't have a varus or outward tilting ankle or a valgus or inward tilting ankle, like a flat foot, you have an ankle that's neutral where the contact surfaces are spread across the joint very evenly. And that in and of itself will last a long time because those contact surfaces are spread out. So it's more focused on uh, getting the patient's rectus or in a, a good alignment. So if a person comes in and they are walking on the outside of the foot, have kind of repetitive lateral column pain and fifth metatarsal pain, then really what we need to start focusing on is tendon strengthening. And if, if we can make the ankle last longer, x-rays obviously, kind of determining what side of the foot or ankle is, is weaker and, and strengthening that if we can, i.e. the perineal tendons or lateral collateral ligaments. Is this all, is this pain coming from chronic ankle sprains? Uh, so if, if we can get their, their foot in a rectus position, good orthotics, brace, and um, almost even if it comes down to just repairing lateral collateral ligaments and getting their, their flat foot corrected, then we can prevent their mild ankle arthritis from getting worse. So it really does start from the ground up. Uh, quote, I, there's I see what you did there. <laughs> and um, that, that's very important. I think a lot of people just kind of forego the foot problem and just focus on yeah. the ankle part with an injection or obviously, but uh, it's, it is really about balancing the, the foot. Awesome. So when, when would you opt to do uh, like a collateral, a collateral, ankle ligament uh, repair or replacement versus just saying, hey, let's focus on getting you stronger and see how far that goes. So usually in a in an athlete, someone that we're both going to collectively treat, it, it's going to be someone that has um, like an osteochondral lesion on their ankle. They've had ankle sprains, they're rolling their ankle all the time. They don't feel stable. They've tried the brace, the KT tape during their races and their ankle without any type of brace on just wants to give out. And so if we've strengthened their perineal muscles as much as we can, and they still have that kind of like modified positive Romberg test where they cannot balance on one foot well, they can't do a single leg heel rise well, they don't feel stable plus or minus the brace. So you've strengthened the, the lateral chain, everything up chain, the lateral column of the foot, you've strengthened it enough, but their, sometimes their foot structure or foot posture will dictate this as well. Those lateral collateral ligaments, along with a, a severely positive anterior drawer or very loose ligaments, will almost force me to get an MRI and force us to do a repair so that we can strengthen our muscles. So that perineal weakness that we've tried to work on collectively hasn't really come through. And only about 15% in my literature that I read, about 15% of people uh, fail, if I had to use that word, physical therapy or strengthening of those perineal tendons. And our, our patients that we treat are working on that daily. This isn't someone that we're not talking about someone that goes to PT like once a week and that's their workout. This is someone that's doing constant workouts on their legs. They're, they're running, they're doing active stuff. They're a, they're a pro runner, et cetera. They, uh, they're rolling their ankle. They don't feel stable. And it, it does, it does come down to that clinical decision 
are they are there are they symptomatic and does the mri light up or show a torn atfl so we have functional instability which is them feeling weak like they have to wear a brace and then there's a mechanical instability where there's a loose ligament positive anterior drawer those things have to come together and in the center of the venn diagram it has to be that typically is the mri and surgery i gotcha so um i i heard you mention a lot about you know mobility or laxity would you rather someone be would you rather an athlete be hypermobile or hypomobile um i think I that, that's a very black and white question but yeah i think you know we see people taped up all the time in nfl and nba and kevin durant's probably got 10 pounds of tape on his ankle <laughs> but the only set of athletes that i really care about lock or, or keeping them loose honestly is like dancers and that, that's not maybe someone you see too often, but they're like high school uh, or, or younger dancers that come in. It is very, very difficult for me to do a lateral ankle ligament repair on them because they have to be so on point, yeah, uh, pun intended, to allow them to do what they need to do. A run, a, you could run with an ankle fusion. It, it would take you a little while to compensate for it. But uh, so I'm saying if I tightened up your ligaments, you would you would do just fine. Yeah. Um, it's more about feeling stable so that you can strengthen the tendons around it. So a runner, I would lock up swimmer is kind of on that category of, uh, as you, that you deal a lot with Nick is on that category of having some loose ligaments to be able to push off and, and have that, that good, uh, kick, but, uh, a runner, a trail runner, triathlete for the most part, cause you just have to swim a third of the time. And most other competitive athletes are fine yeah. with a, a tight tightening of the ligaments. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that with swimming, ankle plantar flexion is actually a variable that we measure with some of the athletes at the Olympic Training Center because it does correlate to their ability to produce force in their kick. Like you, you can have super strong quads and everything, but at the end of the day, if you can't yeah. point your foot really well, um, yeah. you're, you're not going to be able to push that much water. And in that hypermobile, I guess, demographic, do you see an increased prevalence of like ostrogonome or anything like that? Some accessory yeah. bone issues? Yeah. yeah. So like posterior ankle impingement yeah. uh, for, for sure. I mean, uh, that is, that is a hot topic with all the ballet, the dance, the tap, the swimmers, anybody that's, that's severely plantar flexing. I, I don't even know if I would call it hypermobile. I would say I would, because that's a bad word. I'd say like overly mobile because they're still like highly functioning. If I had to say that they're just, um, it, they, they are required to sure. be uh, in a certain position to allow that, that force their paddle, basically their fins to be able to fr function pro properly. But um, yes, that soft here, that post posterior soft tissue impingement is, is, uh, and in soccer too, you know, when you're kicking, uh, that's that's a, a prevalent one that I see, or a common one that I see. Uh, Post your ankle impingement, that that's, yeah. And usually it's injections and cut it out. To be honest with you, there's not a ton yeah. of conservative treatment for it. Yeah, I've actually had a couple of ballet dancers re request that I cut it out so they could go on point and sure better. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. I know Ryan and I were talking earlier this week about uh, some bunion stuff yeah. um is that something that you see a lot, obviously with like runners and things but i know ryan sees it with people that are rolling on the mats and jujitsu and things like that is that yeah. how, how would you recommend people go about dealing with a bunion or when would you say hey this is a surgical case or, or not yeah the the bunion and athlete is a, is a little tough i just had a pro runner in here yesterday actually that 
he thought it was all bunny and pain and he ended up he had a fracture in his big toe um and that's how you know a lot of these athletes just push through stuff obviously as you know mm-hmm. but the if it's true bunny and pain it's always going to be uh it's most commonly going to be in their shoes it's always going to be a big red spot on the medial aspect of the big toe and the, the tough part is with these guys and gals is that they they want to wear shoes that are just tighter than they need i mean people i used to wear girl shoes just to go down on weight just a couple couple ounces but the shoes really dictate a lot of what's going on i've had a couple kickboxers that that ryan punted over or whatever but we um it's it's usually the act of <clears throat> the kick that hurts to be honest with you so it's not so much the just being on the mat and t- rolling around per se but um the the shoes dictate it when it becomes a daily nuisance if it's affecting your daily quality of life if it's keeping you from doing the kickboxing you can't literally can't kick the bag you uh can't run a couple miles half of what you normally would do every day then i would consider something something that we're doing more frequently now for the athlete uh because it's a quicker recovery it's more of a minimally invasive style uh repair with like literally like four little poke holes and uh and we're able to get back on our feet pretty quick a couple of the more aggressive procedures that we do for bunions, like fusions and things, uh, or midfoot fusions, they take a long time to come around. Have yeah, you guys typically, seen big toe fusion patients? Yeah, yeah. Typically, like whenever we've seen that, it's like you know you're you're non weight bearing for several weeks. Yeah. Um, sure. After something like that, and that can definitely affect. Obviously, if it's a an active person, it'll definitely affect how they move. Yeah. Um, quite a bit. That's yeah. the lapoplasty procedure. Yeah, the lapoplasty. I've, in my experience, it does take a minute for them to recover. So they're non-weight bearing for two weeks, then they're in a boot for another four four weeks. Yeah. So, unless they are beyond motivated, um, and honestly, <laughs> like it's more of a yoga type patient that does better than the runner. Uh, the minimally invasive procedure that I'm talking about is even more minimally invasive than the lapoplasty deal. And um, I'll, I'll shoot some information over to you guys, but basically, yeah. it's, it's done through a you know two millimeter incision and typically, as we know, the smaller incision, there's less pain and we're still able to get the deformity reduced and get them back to action pretty quick because they're weight bearing immediately. But the uh, a big toe fusion is very common in runners, uh, tra- trail guys and gals, bikers. And uh, once orthotics and stuff and some injections have failed, then usually if they've, they haven't had a cleanup or whatever, and uh, then we opt for a big toe fusion. There's a lot of data actually out there even in like young high school athletes that, that have broken their toes that we end up doing a big toe fusion on later in life, um, or at least, you know, high, a college level. They, they're very, very f- functional, um, but believe it or not, without bending their big toe because yeah. they're not walking on the side of the foot anymore. Their shoes fit better. They can, they can push off without pain. So usually I have a big toe fusion running in like three and a half months. Okay. Uh, that- it's actually surprising. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I wanted to ask you, Jeff, about some of the non-operative stuff you do, um, yep. such as like the PRP and the shockwave, because Nick and I were talking the other day, some things that we commonly see that are kind of difficult to treat are things like plantar fasciitis, or if you have tendonitis at the insertional point of the Achilles, I found those are pretty tough to treat. Um, and we're always looking for some alternative options to offer our patients. So can you talk more about the PRP and shockwave for tendonitis type issues? Yep. So those two uh, pressure points are probably some of the most common, but most painful and most frequent things um, and difficult uh, that I see. The ankle arthritis stuff is way easier. So the 
the itises, if you will, and I would say insertional Achilles tendonitis, usually we're opting for boot plus PT plus not so much shockwave for the insertional stuff, but more PRP. Uh, the data shows that PRP in the foot and ankle in order of operation, if you will, is uh, in, in order of uh, efficacy is plantar fasciitis, uh, Achilles tendonitis, more mid-substance, and then um, like early arthritis in the ankle. So with plantar fasciitis, the, the studies are like for six months, you're all, you're almost like equ equivalent to a steroid shot. And then from six months to a year, it just kind of improves from there from a, compared to a steroid shot. Now, in my experience, it, it has to be combined with PT. It has to be combined with good shoes. It has to be combined with stretching. Like all these all these qualities or all these things that people are still doing usually by the time they see me. But um, I would say most people have not gone to PT for some reason because they don't correlate functionality with plantar fasciitis. They just think like it's a bone spur and needs to be cut out, uh, which obviously, as we know, is not usually the case. That, that you need surgery. So PRP is like one of the first things that we talk about. And I tell people that, you know, if money was not an issue, everybody would be getting PRP. It would be for plantar fasciitis. It would be, uh, I try to use it for hair regrowth and it didn't work, um, but it would be used more commonly. Shockwave is another tool that we try to uh, basically irritate the area so that we can stimulate blood flow. And that's kind of what PRP does too. It's just a liquid form. It tells all the anti-inflammatory cells to come down to the area and macrophages and basically eat away all the all the inflammatory tissue that's hanging out around the around the insertion of the uh, plantar fascia onto the, the bone. So in my experience, PRP plus shockwave, we usually do six treatments of it once a week, a little bit of time and a little bit of patting on the head with you guys and trying to work on uh, the functionality of the entire chain get them to focus on gait and everything else really hits the bill. It's when someone kind of tries to take over and not do one of those things. That's the person that usually fails. Um, but in my experience, I, I try to institute more, I guess, homeopathic treatments, but prior to doing a shot of steroid shot. Yeah. But insertional okay. stuff. It's, it's really, really tough. Uh, the heel lifts, the pads, you avoiding uphill is kind of a big thing. Uh, obviously, you're putting a lot of tension on it. Alfredson's protocol for Achilles tendinopathy, insertional Achilles tendinopathy is kind of a mainstay for me. So I'll usually print out that protocol or show them the YouTube video. I'll still institute PRP, but in my experience, it probably requires more injections, three to four, like over the course of a year versus just one and done with like with the PF uh, and plus plus like a yearly maintenance kind of thing with PF. Mid-substance is even harder because by the time they see me, that tendon, and mid-substance is about three to four centimeters from the insertion listeners, that mid-substance gets real thick. By the time they've seen me, it's already a bump on the back of their, their heel or above their heel, back of their Achilles. It's rubbing on the counter of the shoe, and sometimes it just needs to be like surgically resected, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of it, obviously, Achilles stuff, implantar fasciitis has to do with Achilles stretching night splints shockwave is a little more effective with the mid substance stuff right on the bone uh, on the back of the heel hurts a lot yeah that can be pretty sensitive people, oh, people just can't stand it usually so those are some of the the bigger things in, in my practice that are working pretty well is mid substance awesome. achilles and, and plantar fasciitis awesome. for shockwave. yeah I've, I've heard you mention orthotics a couple times uh in the pt landscape there's like a huge I don't want to say argument about orthotics, yeah. but yeah, you know, there's there's one school of thought that we don't want to use anything because then we're allowing the foot to atrophy and you're 
making the problem worse. And then yep. on, the, on the other side, it's like, well, orthotics do serve a purpose and it's to offload irritated structures. And so yep. what, what is your take on that? And when would you tell someone to use one? Okay. So orthotics from a research PubMed, like uh, in, in, in the world of literature, custom orthotics truly are only necessary for, or only show efficacy and they're a workhorse for like early stage plantar fasciitis. And that's about it. Like there's not a whole lot that they really do from a functional standpoint, other than kind of pat off the area for a little while, teach the foot what to do. And then they're just, people usually just get used to them and wear them because someone said so. So it's, it is hard for me to be a used car salesman and kind of choke up Hey, here's, we have to do the orthotics. We have to do the orthotics. They're going to solve your world's problems. I, I don't believe in that. I am the kind of, I'm somewhere between the minimalist and the maximalist, if you will. For me, they're useful after a flat foot repair, kind of like a retainer after braces. You'll wear them for a little while. It's not expected that you're going to wear them forever. They're good for like offloading an aroma or something kind of in yeah. the front of your foot. Um, they're good for a kid. They're good for a young, pliable, flat foot. Uh, like a UCBL, like the really rigid ones, to, they look ugly and hard, but they actually feel pretty good in a, a young kid with a flexible flat foot. But a person coming in that's 45 years old that has a flat foot that you're expecting to put 700 newtons of pressure onto this orthotic with every step and expect it to prevent the foot from collapsing, God, God bless you. I, I don't think that's possible. And in my experience, it's, it's more of a comfort thing. It's people... Yeah. People kind of get used to them. It feels okay. It feels pretty good. But an athlete, I, I don't. It's it's honestly kind of hard to run in them. I've I've run in them for a little while, and I just end up taking them out. I don't know if you guys wear them or not. You can't wear them on the mat with Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, they're going to get too wet in our Ironman shoes. Yeah. Um, and so orth orthotics are tough. I I think a sturdy you know, motion control shoe. If you do have a flat foot, if that's why you're wearing them, a motion control shoe. Yes. You're probably gonna have to go through shoes a little more often, but I, I'm not a firm believer that you need orthotics and it's going to solve all of your foot problems. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because we're kind of in the same school of thought yeah. and we'll, we typically will tell people, Hey, let's, let's try an orthotic to offload the structure while it's sensitive. And then, yeah. um, you know, the goal is, for you to not have to wear it for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's, it's like, let's, let's make the foot strong. Yeah. Let's restore yeah. that balance that you were talking about. And once that balance is restored, you no longer need that right. orthotic. And right. um, yeah, we, we definitely see a lot of people is like, well, I got given an orth orthotic 10 years ago and I'm still wearing it. So I don't know why my foot hurts now. It's like, well, yeah. Yeah. Um, you answered your own question. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that, cool. that's usually the person that asked for a new one. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, I, I think that's a, a good stopping point. I appreciate the, the conversation. And Jeff, where can people find more about you? Yep. So um, number one is Instagram, just Dr. Jeff McAllister. Uh, I think it's best AZ ankle doc, I think is actually the tag or whatever. Um, but uh, Phoenix spelt out and then FAI foot ankle institute.com um, are the two two best places to find me. So anytime. Awesome. And if, if anyone listening is in the Phoenix area or the greater Phoenix area, definitely reach out to Dr. McAllister. Uh, if you're having any issues with foot or ankle stuff, like I said, he's uh, by far 
the person that we trust the most to send all of our athletes to. So um, thanks for hopping on with us today. Thanks, Ryan, Nick. I appreciate thanks. it.